Please rise. Court is now in session. All rise. All rise. Is It Legal 2? A regular look at the legal system and you, a special production of the Missouri Bar. I'm Bob Pretty and Farrah Fight is with me. Farrah, when did you have your first traffic crash? Oh, way to put me on the spot, Bob. <laughs> uh, I think I was 18 and it happened in the parking lot of the Walmart in West Plains, Missouri, where I grew up. And uh, it was one of those new fancy lanes where all the cars pull in sort of in the same direction and then we were both backing out at the same time and hit our back two corners. I think I was out running around with a bunch of buddies one day and I backed <laughs> my car into a ditch and I had to have a wrecker come and t- pull me out and I I don't remember if I told my parents that or if they found out just by looking at the back bumper and seeing all the grass and mud. <laughs> we're going to be talking about traffic crashes today, fender benders and worse, and we're going to be talking about lawyers, ambulance chasers, or are they public servants, and what do they do for us and what we need to do from them. Lawyers and traffic crashes, and you, your responsibilities and your rights on this edition of Is It Legal Too? We have a guest. Would you like to introduce him? You bet, Bob. Wally Bly is with us today. Wally is with Bly and Evans out of Columbia, Missouri, and he has nearly four decades of experience as a lawyer, and he primarily represents those who have been injured by someone else, most often in automobile crashes. So he's the perfect guest for us to learn tips and advice from today on so that we can be best prepared when we have our next fender bender. Um, hope we don't have one, but it's probably inevitable. Well, it's a time of year where a lot of people are going to be slipping and sliding around. They don't think that they were going to have a crash, and suddenly, all of a sudden, there's a there's a bent fender, or even worse. At some point, is there a level of, of traffic crash where a lawyer needs to be involved? Very early on, Bob, it's not a bad idea to uh, consult with a lawyer. Most lawyers will talk with uh, the the consuming public on the phone and not charge them to get advice whether or not, in fact, they need to be represented in the case. What are my responsibilities as a motorist, though, When if, if there's an accident, whether I cause it myself or whether somebody else is involved, what are my responsibilities at the scene? The first thing uh, people should do, of course, is figure out if somebody's hurt, whether or not somebody's hurt, uh, and, and if so, get appropriate help calling 911, uh, get first responders on the scene. Many jurisdictions today, if there's not an injury involved in in an accident, won't send a police officer out to write a police report. And if that's the case, then you need to exchange all of the pertinent information, names, addresses, phone numbers, insurance information from both parties. They should exchange that. And if there's any witnesses available, you should, of course, get their names and contact information also. It's not a bad idea. Today, in the the time when everybody's got a cell phone that's got a camera, to get some photographs of the vehicles, get some photographs of the scene uh, while it's fresh. And if the police do respond, then, of course, to deal openly, honestly, and candidly uh, with the reporting officer. So adding on to what Wally suggests we all have in our vehicle, I'd also like to mention that the Missouri Bar has a great number of resources to help you when you are faced with your next vendor bender at MissouriLawyersHelp.org. Again, that's MissouriLawyersHelp.org. You can find an auto, what to do in an auto accident checklist that even has a questionnaire to help you ask the right questions at the scene if you need to and make sure that you cover all your bases. So that's one resource that you can find there. Here in Missouri, you're only required to carry, I believe, liability insurance to cover 
someone if you injure them or crash into them, um, but not yourself. What if someone doesn't have insurance? Well, the Missouri Personal Financial Responsibility Law requires us to carry a minimum amount of uh, liability insurance on our automobiles in the amount of $25,000, but it also requires us to carry uninsured motorist uh, coverage, which does provide some coverage for you, some benefits for you in the event a negligent motorist causes a wreck that uh, causes property damage or injury, uh, but they don't have insurance. So our financial responsibility law does, in fact, afford you some protection, although you could uh, help yourself more by buying some other coverage, including underinsured motorist coverage. If a ticket's issued, that elevates it a little bit, doesn't it? If it uh, it's interesting that the uh, two the two processes are related but aren't the same. The fact that a ticket is issued matters, uh, and the person who gets the ticket really should consult with a lawyer to find out whether or not it's going to help them be beneficial to them uh, to be represented. But it's not dispositive on the, the civil side of the case, the damages side, property damage and injuries. Uh, but if a person gets a ticket and goes to court and pleads guilty, then, of course, that's an admission that can be used against them in the civil case. Whiplash is a big issue. You don't get a ticket, but you have an accident. Uh, should you contact a lawyer anyway, just in case the person that you hit one way or another decides three days later their neck is sore and they need to get a lawyer and do something about you? It's probably not necessary to contact a lawyer immediately following an accident if you're not hurt and if you didn't get a ticket. Uh, but it is important to contact your insurance company and put them on notice of a potential claim. Uh, and if you are the party that uh, is injured and you have the other driver's insurance information, it's important to contact them and get the process started. Do most insurance companies have lawyers that will represent you in a case? Insurance companies sued. are obliged, if a, if a suit is filed, to hire counsel to defend you, to provide a defense, and also to indemnify you. That is to to pay the uh, claim up to the limits of your policy. Some insurance companies have counsel in-house uh, that if a claim is filed, uh, get assigned the case. Others hire outside counsel. But uh, just at the claims process, before a suit is filed, uh, it's rare that the insurance companies hire a lawyer. They they handle it uh, through their adjusters. We've been talking about um, crashes or accidents that involve you and someone else. But this time of year in Missouri, slick roads, icy conditions, or even deer season, we have lots of accidents that happen where it's we're the sole individual involved and it's just our vehicle. Is there a point in that process where you're seeking an insurance claim that a lawyer can be of assistance? There is, um, in a, in a one vehicle accident, there's occasionally a circumstance where a lawyer can help you. Uh, it usually involves when there's some other factor that contributes to the accident. For example, bad road conditions. And by bad road conditions, I don't mean that they're icy. I mean that it's a dangerous condition, which shouldn't have been allowed to exist. Uh, if we're talking about a run-of-the-mill, the roads were uh, slick and icy and my car slid off the road or a deer ran out in front of me, there's a very limited role lawyers can play in those cases, particularly when it's only a property damage case because the amount of money involved is typically economically 
unreasonable to get a lawyer in. In a property damage case, the amount that the insurance company is obliged to pay isn't necessarily the amount of the repair cost, uh, but the, the difference between the value of the vehicle before the accident as compared to the value of the vehicle after the accident. Most of the time that means repair costs, but there are certainly circumstances where uh, a vehicle had less value before the accident uh, than it would cost to repair it. It's a total loss. Uh, it's really hard to get a lawyer involved in those cases because economically it doesn't make sense. You can't recover your attorney's fees. That's not an element of damage in Missouri. Uh, and so by the time you pay a lawyer, you don't have enough money to fix the car or replace the car. Well, in terms of paying a lawyer, Wally, how are attorney's fees set? And do they vary from the kind of case that you have, or is it just a standard hourly rate that, that the lawyer or law firm charges? In an injury case, it's very typical that lawyers will handle those cases on a contingent fee basis. Uh, the contingent fee is usually somewhere between a third and 40 percent, depending on the nature of the case and the complexity. In cases uh, like criminal cases arising out of traffic accidents, sometimes lawyers have set fees. Let's say I'll handle this case for $500, whatever the number is. Sometimes it's an hourly rate, and the hourly rate varies substantially between uh, lawyers and locations. Most case, other types of cases, uh, almost the only way to do that is on an hourly basis. Is it ethical for a lawyer to look through the newspaper and read the accidents and call up somebody and say, do you need a lawyer? Uh, actually, those things are allowed today under under the rules uh, as long as it's clear that uh, what you're doing is a essentially advertising. Didn't use that didn't used to be allowed under the old ethical rules, but that's all changed now. We've talked about fender benders, but what if it's a more serious crash? Um, there's not just property damage, but someone's hurt or even killed. Um, those can be really devastating to the family and those impacted. Um, at that, in those types of cases, is it more important to contact a lawyer sooner? Or what is the best advice that you have to offer? If you're involved in an automobile accident and you or a family member has suffered a serious injury or somebody's been killed, the sooner you get a lawyer involved, the better. Uh, part of the responsibility of the lawyer is going to be to conduct an early investigation to preserve evidence and facts. Uh, and so the sooner the better in those cases. Uh, in minor cases, it's not as important. In minor injury cases, you've got a sore back. It's still better uh, to contact a lawyer sooner rather than later. Sometimes the lawyer might look at it and say, let's see how you do. Call me in a month. Let's see how your back feels. Uh, and we'll decide whether or not it's economically reasonable to get me involved in the case. But in a serious injury case, there's no question you should contact a lawyer, and the sooner the better. I've met a few fenders in my time, and I, I'm sure that the rest of us have too. But usually at some point, a police officer says, what happened? At what point should I be less than candid with a police officer writing his report until I've talked to somebody like you? So the truth is uh, always the best policy. Now, if we're talking about a situation where there's an impaired driver, there are other considerations, and a, a criminal defense lawyer may tell them you shouldn't talk to them at all, you shouldn't cooperate at all, uh, you should keep your mouth shut. 
that's a different situation that's very difficult to address in a in a general setting like this one. Mm -hmm. uh, so as a general rule, when you're not adding in a factor like impairment, car wreck at an intersection, tell it, being honest and candid with the officer is always the best policy because you're not going to change the facts. So you need to tell the truth. You need to answer the questions asked. And you need to remember that I don't know is the truth if you don't know. Well, you mentioned impairment in your answer there. So let's, let's, let's look at impairment a little bit. Drinking or drug use involved in a lot of accidents. Uh, and let's look at it from both sides. First of all, if I have been drinking or if I've been taking drugs and I cause a wreck, what should I do? After you bail yourself out of jail, you should call a lawyer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I am a victim of somebody that obviously has been drinking or has been on drugs, uh, should I call you call a lawyer immediately? Uh, I would. I, I mean, not immediately at 2 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, but as soon after uh, the accident occurs, it's reasonable. You should get a hold of a lawyer. Okay. The different approaches lawyers then will take. Assume you're on one side. Assume you represent a driver who's been drinking or has been on drugs versus you represent somebody who has been a victim of somebody who's done that. How do you handle, how do you handle that kind of case, those kinds of cases? In a situation where there's an impaired driver, there's probably going to be two lawyers involved representing that driver. One is going to be the person that's hired by the insurance company to defend the civil claim. The other is going to be the criminal defense lawyer uh, that the driver hired. They've got different jobs. Uh, the responsibility uh, of the criminal defense lawyer is to try to get as, as good a result for his client as he can. Uh, that's going to include not making statements uh, to police officers. And if he has to go try the case, try the case. The, rep the job of the lawyer representing the insurance company is to attempt to minimize the amount of damages the insurance company has to pay. Uh, and his job then is going to be to try to humanize the impaired driver who made a mistake and minimize the damages suffered by the innocent other driver. If the driver who's impaired gives a statement to the officer at the scene and you're the defense attorney, do you try to attack the statement given at the scene by your client who at that point was probably still impaired and might not have been completely organized in his own mind? It's a two-edged sword, of course. Uh, you might not like the content of the statement, but if you attack the police officer very much, all it's going to matter, all it's going to manage to do is aggravate the the jury or the judge. Uh, and so probably you're going to live with the statement. We've talked about impairment, but there's also quite a few accidents that are caused by distractions. Um, texting could be an example of that. What does a distraction mean in a case? If someone is has a family member who's injured uh, by someone else who was driving distracted, how can that impact that type of case? In Missouri, drivers have an obligation to exercise the highest degree of care while operating a vehicle. And if you are distracted while you're driving a vehicle, whether it be by texting, fooling with your radio, trying to eat a sandwich, putting on makeup, whatever it is. I've seen someone actually reading the newspaper while driving. Exactly. You see, and you've probably seen people reading books driving down the highway. Mm -hmm. uh, and all of those things are relevant to whether or not they're exercising the highest degree of care. And so 
they're relevant. They come into evidence. They do affect the outcomes of cases. It's very important if an insurance adjuster is handling a claim and finds out that their insured was texting while driving, that's going to be a big factor in deciding whether or not the company's liable in that case. And if the case doesn't get settled and goes to a jury, it's going to be a really, really big factor and an aggravating factor in their decision on the case. Are there any limits on how much money I can recover in a lawsuit in a case like this against somebody? Well, as a practical matter, what you're going to recover, uh, depending on the seriousness of your injury, are the limits of liability insurance that the other party has. Uh, and if your damages exceed that, and if you have underinsured motorist coverage on your vehicle, then you may have a claim against your own insurance company for additional monies. Now, it doesn't apply in every case, of course. If you've sued a big corporation that has plenty of assets, you may be able to make a recovery over and above the amount of the limits of insurance available to indemnify the insured. But that's a rare case indeed. Are there any tips or items that you think every driver should have with them just in the event that they might be in an accident? So if you have a prepared kit to help you in these instances, I know that earlier you mentioned it might be good to take some photos. You want to have not just your insurance and contact information, but collect that from the other party. Um, is there anything else that we should be have, you know, stuffed in our glove box or in that center console that we have on hand for these types of situations? Sure. So as a practical matter, most drivers have a difficult time remembering where their insurance card is in their vehicle, much less a checklist. So I would say the best thing to do is really use that common sense that you've developed through the years uh, relative to every other event in life. Get the basic information, the other driver's contact information and the insurance information. You've got the phone on your, uh, you've got the phone in your pocket that's that's got a camera on it and you take pictures of everything else on earth go ahead and take pictures of the other drivers driver's license and insurance card get pictures of the vehicles maybe get some pictures of the scene uh, and remember to try to get names and contact information for witnesses and just to confirm for our listeners the scene is essentially wherever the accident took place and when you want to take photos of the scene do you want that from multiple angles so that people can you'll have a a sort of a big picture of that or does it just need to be like the two corners where the cars met right that's a great question and you want to have a composite look at the scene so you want to be 50 yards behind where it happened 50 yards in front of where it happened where it happened and the reason it's important to get a picture at the time or relatively near to the time is because scenes change seasons change which might affect the way the scene looks Work gets done on highways, so the sooner the better. But if you have a wreck that, that causes a traffic jam, if you're blocking traffic, at what point legally should you move your vehicles, assuming they can be moved, to the side of the road so other people can go by and not be holding everything up while you're taking all of these pictures? Uh, I think the road signs that we see on the highways that say if there are no injuries, move your car off to the uh, shoulder, probably the best advice you can get. If there's somebody hurt... And if you can leave the vehicles in place, you need to do that. But if there's no injuries, I'd try to get the vehicles off the roadway and eliminate that road hazard. We're getting closer and closer, Wally, to having self-driving cars. 
and there already are reports of, of crashes involving self-driving cars. Has the legal profession started thinking about where it stands and what its role should be in the times when we have vehicles that are supposed to be driving themselves but drive themselves into each other? I think that the uh, legal profession is way ahead on that curve. Uh, the question is, what's the result going to be? Yeah. Whether or not the car is supposed to drive itself, the responsibility for safely operating that vehicle is going to rest on the shoulders of the driver. The question is then, well, what about the manufacturer who manufactured this this piece of equipment that is supposed to operate itself and didn't? Uh, and it can... There is certainly the possibility and, and the probability that in those events where there are really serious injuries that justify the time and expense of pursuing a products liability claim, a claim against a manufacturer on the basis that they sold a, a defective and dangerous product that didn't do what it was supposed to do uh, is there. But that's not going to alleviate the driver of the vehicle from responsibility. In the interim, before we reach the self-driving yeah. car and Jetsonian future that we <laughs> may have, the age that Americans are buying their first car at is getting higher. I think it's up to 20, the average age now is 21 for buying your first vehicle. More and more people are opting for using ride shares rather than owning a vehicle. Um, and also there's even new subscription models from some of the major uh, manufacturing, automobile manufacturing companies where you can just have a subscription and use a different car every month if you want. How does this impact, especially if you don't even own the vehicle and are just a passenger in it, how does that impact um, your ability to be protected if you are in an accident? Well, whether or not you own the vehicle, if you're driving the vehicle, uh, there's potential liability if, if you're negligent, negligent in your operation of the vehicle. If a person is a passenger in the vehicle that's injured, then, of course, they have no responsibility for operation of the car, but they do still have a claim against the negligent driver, depending on what caused the accident. If it's some dangerous condition in the vehicle, they may have a claim against the owner or manufacturer of the vehicle. Uh, it's going to be dependent on a case-by-case -case basis. Legalese. We've used the word negligence several times in our discussion so far, and sometimes that's lawyer talk. So we've asked a retired judge and a retired law school dean to help us straighten out legalese and speak English to us. Right, Fair? That's exactly right. And Judge Wolf is going to help us today with the word negligence. Not only tell us what it means, but where it comes from. Judge Mike Wolf is a former chief justice of the Missouri Supreme Court. Bob, your listeners have been hearing about negligence. So what's that? Let's start with an example. That driver, the one with the cell phone in his hands, smashed his car into yours, and you, of course, thought it was his fault. The question is, does he have to pay? Well, the law says if he was negligent, he will have to pay. And that principle came from our judge-made common law originally. So negligent is just another way of saying that somebody was careless. In America, courts developed the law of negligence, holding people responsible for their carelessness. It was done on a case-by-case -case basis. It's a set of principles that we developed from the English common law that we inherited. The courts shaped the law to decide individual disputes. 
Now, this law that holds people responsible for their negligence began, of course, in the days of horse-drawn carriages. The automobile, which you've been talking about, is a different thing. It's a dangerous instrument. So the courts in Missouri say that an auto driver has a duty to use the highest degree of care. And the law defines that as being the degree of care that a very careful person would use under the same or similar circumstances. So when a person fails to use the highest degree of care, we can say that he was negligent. In Missouri, our courts use juries. The judge tells the juror what negligence means and asks jurors to decide the facts of the case. In the case of the driver, if he is found at fault, the jury will decide how much money he should have to pay you for your loss. But what if you were looking at your cell phone at the same time and not paying attention? Was the accident partly your fault? Maybe. The courts came up with an answer about a generation ago. They adopted something called comparative fault. So if it was partly your fault, the jury is asked to deduct some percentage of the total amount that you would be paid from the total amount. So, for example, if the jury decides that your injury was worth, say, $100,000 and that really the accident was about 20% your fault, you'd get $80,000. The common law develop these principles, and common law really means common sense. The legislature can pass laws to change this judge-made common law. In the case of negligence, the Missouri legislature has adopted this common sense of the common law into our written law, and jurors apply the law using their own common sense in judging whether, in fact, the drivers, you and the person who ran into you, were negligent and deciding the dispute that comes before the courts. Of course, not very many of these cases are tried, but the principles are applied by insurance companies, by lawyers in settling disputes, because we have the wisdom of the common law and the wisdom that the jurors give us on a case-by-case -case basis. Legalese. Farrah mentioned the young driver, the 21-year-old first-time owner. How about the elderly driver? We're living longer nowadays, and we're, we don't want to give up our keys. Is that a particular segment of the law that, uh, that you folks look at? It's always a factor, uh, and, and it is an issue. The fact is that age does impact how we operate vehicles, whether it's a young driver or an elderly driver. I'm not suggesting that everybody in between is the greatest <laughs> driver, um, but the statistics will bear out that it's an issue. So a driver's age isn't going to be in a, a, a factor in and of itself, but... If the driver is elderly and it has affected their ability to operate a vehicle, they're driving 30 miles an hour on an interstate highway, for example, or they have a hard time seeing and, and run through a stoplight or stop sign, those things matter. But ultimately, it's not the age that's relevant. It's the conduct of the driver. How far down, though, does, does the responsibility for taking away the keys run? For example... If mom has a crash and something bad happens, can mom's children be parties to a lawsuit if they have allowed mom to continue to drive, knowing that she's probably not as capable as she used to be? As a general rule, the answer to that question is no. Mm -hmm. uh, is there a circumstance where a person could be held liable for allowing a driver to operate a vehicle that wasn't competent to do so? Yeah, certainly but probably not for allowing them to operate their own vehicle. Now, if you've got a 15-year-old son or a 90-year-old parent who comes to you and says, I want to borrow your car uh, to drive over to the racetrack, 
and you know historically that that person shouldn't be driving a car and you give it to him anyway? Is there a theory? There's a theory of negligent entrustment. You should not have entrusted this vehicle to that person. But it would be an extraordinary case to be able to make a claim against a child who allowed his parent to drive their own car. Molly, I know that you also uh, handle mediations. And we've been talking about cases going to trial. But that seems, at least from the statistics I've seen, that fewer cases actually go all the way to trial these days. Could you talk about some of the options, whether a case would go all the way to trial or what other options um, there would be, such as mediation or arbitration? If a claim, uh, be it for property damage or an injury case, uh, can't be resolved with the insurance company prior to filing suit, which most claims are, by the way, uh, resolved prior to filing suit, and a lawyer is hired, suit's filed, the parties do their respective discovery, they find out all the facts related to the case, all the facts related to the injuries suffered, then a very popular means of attempting to resolve the case today is by mediation, which is a voluntary process where the two sides to get together with a, a neutral, a third-party neutral, to try to move towards settlement. Uh, it's, it's proved very effective over the last 10 or 15 years, and many, many cases get resolved that way. If they don't get resolved at the mediation, oftentimes they get resolved shortly after the mediation. There's People ask uh, often, if we don't get this case filed and we have to file a lawsuit, does that mean it's going to trial? Not necessarily. Case gets resolved anytime. People in mediations, I have people ask me all the time in mediations, hey, if we don't get our case settled today, does, does that mean we have to go try the case? Not at all. A case can get settled anytime. It can get settled the day before trial. It can get settled during trial. It can get settled after trial. Uh, and so I can't think of any circumstance when it would be impossible to settle the case. The real question is, can the parties get together on the number? And we've been talking about cars today and trucks too, but I've seen some recent headlines that um, involved crashes, um, some involved impaired drivers, but it wasn't exactly vehicles. It was more of um, those gators. Is that what they're called? The the four-wheel uh, yeah. excursion vehicles. Um, do the same rules, if you're operating one of those on a roadway, does that apply? Same rules apply to operation of any vehicle on a roadway. So a four-wheeler, a gator, if you're operating them on a, high, on a roadway, you have an obligation to exercise the highest degree of care. If you're not on the roadway, you're on private property, you have the obligation to exercise an ordinary degree of care. That is, what degree of care would a person in the same or similar circumstances exercise? What would they do? So it's a lesser standard of care, but it's still a negligence standard. And I grew up in southern Missouri. And so when you're saying roadway, we're not just talking about paved highways. We're talking about any road maintained. Any public roadway. Okay. We've talked about some big issues here, but let me talk about ask you about one, one small one. If somebody comes to you and their license has been suspended because they have too many points on their license— is there something that, that you folks do to give them an opportunity to still drive to a limited degree at least, even though their license has been suspended? Well, there are circumstances where a court can issue a hardship driving privilege that allows people to 
operate a vehicle for the purpose of getting to and from work. Not every person is eligible to get a hardship permit, but that's the most likely thing a, a lawyer can do to assist a person in that circumstance. Where does an inter, in ignition interlock system come into play? Ignition interlock systems usually come into play in a criminal case where a person has more than one conviction for driving while intoxicated. Mm -hmm. And if a judge authorize, if, if the, the person's out of jail uh, and the judge is going to allow them to operate a vehicle, they, the judge could impose as a condition of their probation uh, that if they operate a vehicle, it can only be a vehicle with an interlock device that, such that they have to blow into it to show that they weren't drinking before the car will start. And if I disagree with my insurance company, if they want to issue me a check for my car after I've had a crash of some kind and I think I should get more, is it worthwhile for me to hire a lawyer to try to get them to give me more? The biggest dispute of all, a really good question. Very rarely uh, does the expense of hiring a lawyer, is it justified in a property damage case because... Uh, you're not allowed to recover your attorney's fees. By the time you pay the lawyer, you're not going to have enough money to cover the property damage. It's it's never a bad idea to give a lawyer a call. You can talk to them on the phone. They're not going to charge you. If, if you call some lawyer on the phone who says they're going to charge you for that phone call, call another lawyer uh, because lawyers are very charitable, uh, spending their time giving people advice about things like this. But do I have a right then to tell my insurance company, look, I think you need to give me more? You sure do, um, but the remedy is to sue your insurance company, and economically it doesn't make any sense. You've uh, given us quite a bit of advice today, and we appreciate that. But to sum things up, is there one piece of advice that you give every potential client or or your clients when it comes to these types of cases? Is there any one item that you always make sure to share? I think the best advice I could give people generally in dealing with these kinds of things is uh, what we talked about earlier in talking to the police officer. Uh, tell the truth to whomever you're dealing with, whether it's an investigating police officer or the insurance company. Tell the truth answer the questions I ask and remember that the truth includes I don't know if you don't know. Get a lawyer's advice early. If you've got a question, if you don't know, then don't be afraid to ask. All right. What do you think is the biggest erroneous thought that the public has about lawyers and, and negligence cases or personal injury cases? My experience is that the public's biggest misconception is that the lawyer can take a minor injury case and turn it into a very valuable injury case. Uh, and that's just not true. When the damages are what the damages are, the lawyer can put the best spin on it, show it uh, from its best light, but a sore neck is a sore neck. Uh, you're not gonna turn a sore neck into a quadriplegic case. The facts are the facts. Wally, thank you. Thank you Good. very much. We're glad to have you here. You've been listening to Is It Legal To, a regular service of the Missouri Bar, and we'll be speaking to you from time to time on legal issues such as this with experts such as Wally Bly. Thank you, Wally. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you.
we might want to drop in here and mention that if you have any questions about when you need to call a lawyer, you can find some indications of when to call a lawyer by going back to MissouriLawyersHelp.org that Farah mentioned earlier. That's MissouriLawyersHelp.org. It's on the Internet, and they can give you some guidelines on various topics and how you might approach a lawyer to talk about. That's exactly right, Bob. And we have a great resource there as well called Lawyer Search. And if you decide that you need a lawyer and you're looking for one, you can search by practice area and where you live in the state. And it has information on there about how to contact that lawyer and also if the lawyer offers free consultations, just as Wally mentioned. Before we go, this program series is going to be focusing on a lot of our basic individual rights. We've asked the Missouri Bar's Tony Simons to shed some light on the U.S. Constitution and the rights we have under it. Today's discussion raises a number of issues about the role of government in our constitutional system. Before you hit the stop button and shut me off, please give me a chance to explain why you should keep listening. In our system, the role of government is something for the people to determine. One of the things I'll be doing in these commentaries is challenging you, the listener, to consider how our constitutional system should function. It is up to you to let those who represent you know your beliefs and your ideas. For example, Wally Bly mentioned the financial responsibility law that requires Missourians to carry insurance, protecting themselves from uninsured or underinsured drivers. This law was an attempt by the government to protect us from ending up in a difficult financial situation. Legislating to protect the health, safety, and well-being of the people is one of the traditionally accepted roles of government. The financial responsibility law is another instance of the government exercising what is known as the police power. How far this police power should extend in directing what actions we take and what other types of decisions government can make for us are deeper questions, questions that all of us should consider. What is the proper role of government? That is a matter you should decide for yourself. This also applies on the criminal side of the law. Mr. Bly spoke of the issue of texting and the negligent standard of highest degree of care. There are some who say we should go beyond this and make it a violation of the criminal law to text while driving. Who decides what will and will not be a crime? The state legislature and the governor. And who elects the state legislature and the governor? You do. Ultimately, whether an action is a crime in our state is a decision of the people acting through their elected representatives. However, for our elected representatives to play their proper role in designating actions as crimes, it is up to us to wrestle with these issues, to make decisions for ourselves, and then to communicate those preferences to our elected leaders. Should texting while driving be a crime in Missouri? Again, that is for you to decide. While today's discussion certainly has relevance for the public and the question of when to speak to a lawyer, don't lose sight of the dimension of this issue that goes to the question of how government should work in our state and in our nation. Never forget that ultimately you play a role in defining the rules under which we will live. That is the design and the genius of our constitutional system. Nothing further. Yeah. Yeah.
The more you know about the laws that impact your daily life, the better decisions you'll be able to make about your life, your family, and your finances. I'm Farah Fight. I'm Bob Pretty, and join us for another edition of Is It Legal 2, a service of the Missouri Bar.